Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Radical Personal Finance is sponsored by Paladin Registry. Make 2017 the year that you actually follow through on some of your financial resolutions by finding a great financial advisor. Start your search with the registry service at RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash Paladin. Start by shopping from a pre-selected group of vetted and screened financial advisors. RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash Paladin. show is also sponsored by Personal Capital. Personal Capital is the best financial dashboard for you to use to get in one page a comprehensive view of all of your financial accounts. Sign up at, for free at RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash Personal Capital. Again, RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash Personal Capital. Here at Radical Personal Finance, one of the major mantras that I consistently repeat to you on the show is to begin with the end in mind, to start with a clear vision of where you're going to end up. Well, guess what? You are going to end up dead, either planted in the ground or burned into little pieces. So today, let's talk about death so that you don't put your family in the position where they wind up wasting money trying to figure out what to do with your body. Why don't we have a little radical personal finance discussion about funerals? Welcome to Radical Personal Finance, the show dedicated to providing you with everything that I can think of that might be helpful to you in a quest to live a rich life now, while also building and following through on your plans for financial freedom in 10 years or less. My name is Joshua Sheets, and I'm your host. A little bit different today, but I'm telling you, I see so many financial mistakes made at funerals, and today I want to help you avoid some. I don't often come on Radical Personal Finance and kind of, uh, come on the show and appear as the consumerist Nazi <laughs> railing against consumerism. That's an easy horse to, to beat, and a lot of people uh, beat upon that horse consistently. That's not really my thing. I think you, you can decide for yourself uh, what you want to do and what you want to spend your money on and what's important to you. And, and you're an adult, and uh, you can be treated like one. Uh, I respect the free enterprise system. I respect people's right to come together under any circumstances that they want to and make whatever voluntary agreements and contracts that they want to make with one another. I really do. But just because I respect that right 
And just because I respect your ability and your authority to make any decision that you want, I got to tell you, that doesn't mean that I understand it. And in the United States of America, we have some very strange practices. I should amend that to say in the Western world, we have some very strange practices regarding burials and funerals. And I just don't get it. I think there are better ways. <laughs> Again, one of the hallmarks of a modern consumerist culture is that we think that we should just spend money on everything. And especially when it comes to major life events, we've somehow convinced ourselves that by spending more money on things, we get better results. I see this often when it comes to uh, birth and birthing and, and marriage and, and, and all of these things. People just want to spend lots of money and they associate these events with spending birth of a child. What do people associate with it? You know, even just past the birth. They associate parenthood with spending money. They associate parenthood with all the stuff that you need, all the stuff that you've got to buy. Uh, just yesterday, I, I on yesterday's show, I recorded and I referred to one of the budget categories that I keep called kid expenses. And I said, the reason I do that is because I don't buy uh, uh, the malarkey that, that, that is commonly sold about the cost of raising children. Well, as I recorded that show and published it, all of a sudden, this Yahoo, was this, uh, yeah, Yahoo, Yahoo News article pops across from January 9, 2017. Yesterday, I don't know the timestamp on this, but January 9, 2017 from the Associated Press with the annual uh, release from the Department of Agriculture that says the estimated cost of raising a child from birth through age 17 is $233,610 or as much as almost $14,000 annually. Came out Monday. I didn't even know it was coming out. <laughs> we'll deal with that another day. But the point is, that's a bunch of baloney. Uh, although I, I'm not arguing the data, I'm all arguing on how you measure it and saying that that's a choice. It's up to you. We'll deal with that story another day. Uh, the point is that people associate children and the raising of children with money. Now, I'm not saying you don't need some money, but children don't first and foremost require money. And this starts from the very beginning. Similar things with marriage. I received lots of email feedback and uh, what was it? One of the pieces of email that I got are questions that I got from somebody uh, with regard to the health savings account shows that I did where I talked about how these, these Christian healthcare ministry uh, organizations have rules. And one of the rules that many of them have is that they will not pay for the expenses of, uh, of, uh, of, of children if those children are conceived and born out of wedlock, that they'll only pay for uh, the birth of babies. Those are only publishable, publishable expenses if those children are conceived uh, within uh, marriage of a man and a woman. And I received an email from someone said, that just doesn't seem fair, let alone not only the, the moral thing, but he says, some people want to get married, but they just can't afford it yet. <laughs> now, I understand uh, why this uh, listener feels that way, because you would often get that perception that somehow people aren't getting married because they can't afford it. I have a a family member who this family member uh, has been they've been uh, together uh, man and woman they've been living they've been living together for going on a decade now uh, high school got together right after high school living together going on a decade now and evidently one of the major things is that they haven't really been able to afford to get married but remarkably enough both of them now earn six figure incomes. And yet they still somehow can't scratch around and find the money to get married. 
Strange, huh? <laughs> Might be something more than money. You know, it doesn't cost that much to get married. If you need to, if you, if, first of all, if you decide, it doesn't cost anything unless you decide you want to go and apply for a license with the state. If you do want to go and apply for the license with the state, it's, I didn't look up the fees in preparation for the show. I don't know, what, 100 bucks, something like that? It's not that much money. But in our modern consumerist culture, we associate the life event with the money. And we do the same thing with death. So today I want to just work to give you some ideas, maybe give you some uh, inspiration that there are other alternatives open to you. That you don't necessarily have to trot out and plunk down 10 grand when you die or your family doesn't have to do that for you you or you don't have to do that when your family members die. Or plunk down 30 grand or 50 grand or whatever the number ends up being. If you want to do that, that's your choice or it's someone else's choice for you. But don't think that you've got to do that. One of my major desires is to see so many things that have become uh, consumerized and commercialized brought back into a different culture. Uh, You know, I want as much as possible in life to be based and centered around my home. And my hope is to inspire and to encourage you to do the same, to bring Some of these things back under your own jurisdiction. What's the point of arguing for more freedom if you don't use the freedom that you have? I confess I've probably spent too much time arguing for more freedom without teaching people to use the freedom that they already have. And you can take back control of many of these important events of your life from birth through death. There's no reason in the world why you can't have your babies at home. My wife and I have. Now, there are medical reasons why at some point in time that would be ill-advised, certainly. But in general, there's no reason why you can't have your children at home. And uh, one of the things that my wife and I learned when we have had our children at home is that it has dramatically changed my conception and my perception of childbirth. You know, prior to having children, uh, I always associated childbirth with what I saw in shows on TV and shows in movies. Very kind of stressful and strange occurrence. When you bring it back home, it is, uh, you know, the, the, the nights of our children's birth, births for us are some of the most special and intimate and joy-filled experiences that we look back on and appreciate. So you can research that. You can investigate that. Now, because in the context of childbirth, we're deeply concerned with the health of a mother and a baby, that I don't think we should prioritize first and foremost finances. We should first and foremost prioritize the health and care of a mother and a child. But that doesn't mean that finances should be ignored. You do that at your peril. And people often set up this false dichotomy. They set up a dichotomy and say, well, you either care about the health of a mother and child or you care about saving money and being cheap. That's simply not the case. My hope is uh, that going on from birth that many of you will see the value and the benefit of having your family integrated together in a household A household filled with a loving family is the perfect place 
to raise mature, responsible children to adulthood. You don't have to buy that done. You don't have to commercialize that. So many people start first when thinking about their children and the raising of their children. They first start and say, well, what can I buy? Where do I go to buy an education? And they start shopping it on a consumerist basis. And even those of us who are, are outside of the mainstream, we're guilty of this too. Well, maybe the Waldorf is better. Or is it Montessori? Or perhaps Charlotte Mason? Well, wait a second. I don't think any of these things. And we start shopping like consumers for it. The reality is you can't buy an education. That's something that's got to be worked for and learned. You can change the environment. You can stimulate and inspire children in different ways, but you can't buy an education. Don't look at it as a consumerist thing. That continues on through elementary school, high school, college. It's all a bunch of consumerism, people trying to buy things. And it's really healthy to pull back from that and think differently. It's that great scene in was it Goodwill Hunting where Matt Damon uh, is the scene where he's in a bar. Look it up on YouTube at some point. He's in a, uh, it's, it's somewhat obscene in terms of the language, but it's very powerful. He's in a bar and he's being teased by some hotshot Harvard so-and-so. And, and, and the, the quote goes something along the lines of, uh, you're paying $250,000 for something you could have got with a couple years at the local library and $22 in late fines. By focusing on choosing in a consumerist way the education, we often miss out on the true benefit, which is the process of the education. Similar things with other life events. I mentioned marriage. Why do weddings have to be expensive? I've never understood. Why on earth do we tell young couples, hey, listen, okay, it's going to be your big day, right? You know, here, Mr. Bride, Mrs. Bride, it's going to be your big day. This is your big day. So therefore, what you should do for your big day is you should, you should throw a huge party for all of your friends to come and have fun. You should pay for it. You should design it. You should organize it because after all, it's to celebrate you. And in our modern culture, that often comes with high expenses, often comes with debt, so therefore, you should start your marriage, spending the first few years of your marriage paying off the bills for a wedding, which was a party that you threw for other people to enjoy celebrating your marriage. It makes no sense whatsoever. Now, at least in some cultures, there's a tradition in the context of wedding gifts to give money, which is in some ways the ticket entrance to, uh, to the wedding. Uh, the wedding gifts don't aren't a, a new blender and a, a, a new uh, set of china. The wedding gifts are envelopes filled with cash. That's really good. That's better. But why do brides and grooms pay for it at all? And why does it have to cost ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars? Everybody benefits from that deal who sells services. But does the person who matters most, the bride and groom, do they benefit? Why can't you have uh, a simple marriage celebration in a house? Why can't it be a well-coordinated and well-organized potluck? Now, not saying that's got to be done. Many parents thoroughly enjoy throwing a huge party for their children. Fine. But don't automatically assume that you've got to go out and buy a wedding. It's the silliest thing ever. You can have a fantastic celebration with your friends if you approach it in a different way. What about the care for elders? 
Many of us will be facing that in the next decade. Caring for parents who are aging, is that something where we automatically start by saying, well, what can I buy? That's important to consider and it's important to consider the finances of it. But do you really need to start with shopping or can you think differently? My hope and my goal, many people do this just out of necessity, and I, but I think it's, it shouldn't be done just out of necessity. It's not always practical, but my hope is that as my parents age, that they can always remain in my home or in a home of one of my siblings, surrounded by their children and their grandchildren, sowing in, and perhaps, you know, I never know, great-grandchildren, sowing into those future generations, not sequestered away in something that we've purchased. Now, medically speaking, that's not always possible. But if you start with those types of things as goals and things that are important, you can plan for that. Which brings us to death. Why does death have to be one of the most expensive times? Oftentimes, you cap off a long and expensive illness by an expensive funeral. Are there other ways? And should we seriously consider other ways? I think of a friend of mine and a neighbor, and uh, this happened in the not-too-distant past. But this friend and this neighbor, uh, long-time neighbor, they never, uh, they never had a lot of money. Uh, the husband was living on disability for uh, a major portion of his lifetime. I didn't know much about their finances until the last few years. But the husband was living on disability. Very small check. Uh, the wife had gone back to work uh, after the husband had become disabled. But she didn't have any significantly marketable job skills. Just very small uh, ability to earn an income. At times, she was working as a cashier at a grocery store. At other times, she was doing simple house cleaning and elder care. And she was working throughout her uh, 70s and into her 80s. Well, the husband started to... Uh, experienced more and more Alzheimer's. And at some point in time, I became aware of the fact that they were struggling with their house, that they were behind on their debts on their house. And so uh, I offered my services and, and sat down with them and we spent uh, time discussing their finances. And to, to share the story succinctly, I found out that the previous couple of decades had basically been a disaster financially. I did some forensic accounting and I undid various financial transactions in which this couple had been uh, really taken advantage of, in my opinion, by uh, unethical mortgage uh, uh, brokers who were refinancing their mortgage in non-advantageous ways. And they had spent money. They had received small inheritances inheritances, and they had just spent it unwisely. And basically, they had no money. And they were in the process of foreclosure. Now, we forestalled the foreclosure as long as possible, but then their house was foreclosed. And fast forward a little bit of time, they went to live with family and, and worked through some of those, those things. Well, a couple years later, the husband died. Now, I had been aware of their finances. I hadn't been close to them after they moved away. But I went to the funeral. I just wanted to cry at the cost of what I knew the funeral cost. The fancy casket, the full uh, suite of vehicles and the funeral procession and the, the, the procession in the church building and the graveside ceremony and all of it. just massive money. Huge money. And I thought, why? Why? Isn't there another way? And I often get very frustrated by this, by the litany of, of, of requests that we all receive. 
It seems like when somebody buys the first thing, excuse me, dies, the first thing that we got to do is make a GoFundMe page to pay $20,000 of funeral expenses. What if we could cut that and just give the $20,000 to them to pay for some of the other expenses, such as having some time to grieve, such as some of the medical costs? Why do we have to spend ten, you know, five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars on a funeral? I get so sick of it. I hope that doesn't sound like. Um, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm complaining. You don't want to. I don't want to complain. But it just seems like, especially me coming from the life insurance business, I get so frustrated by life insurance. One more. See one more group of people out, the firefighters, the police, out standing on the street with a boot, raising money for officer so-and-so who was killed and he had two little kids. A million bucks, a term life insurance, it cost you about $17 a month. Buy some life insurance. And I'm going to pick on you police officers and firefighters. You guys are the worst. Had a few of you as clients. You guys are the worst. Because you sit back and you got the tough guy bravado act, act of I'm not going to die. And don't go and buy a million bucks of life insurance. Buy five million if you got the income for it. So silly when you don't get charged a bid extra for your supposedly dangerous job that actuarially is not dangerous. Thus, you can get great life insurance rates and you don't buy tons of it. It's frustrating because it's heartbreaking because then we add on this layer of service and service to the community and, yeah, it pulls at our heartstrings and whatnot. Buy life insurance. You might get killed in the line of duty and then the, the, the police union and whatnot or the firefighters union, yes, you'll have that there. But you might also just die of a heart attack and die on your way to work just like a lot of people. So buy life insurance. And if you know if there's someone in your family who's a police officer or a firefighter who's too macho to go and see an insurance agent, you buy it for them. And we're talking 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks a month. It's meaningless in, in light of the, the, the massive incomes that many um, uh, high-ranking police officers and firefighters can earn. Anyway, forgive my um, uh, emotion. It's just very frustrating. Uh, so-and-so, sergeant such-and-such is dead, and now his family and his widow and his children are bereft of, uh, of income. They're going to get kicked out of their house. And uh, Simple planning. Anyway, let's talk about funerals. So – Let's start there. <laughs> Forgive me um, for my emotion. Make sure there's money available when you die. Good, simple planning can do that. Life insurance should be a cornerstone of good, simple financial planning. I'm of the firm opinion that there is that everybody is well served by having some permanent life insurance that is guaranteed to be enforced when you die. If you're younger, you can have tons of term life insurance to cover those expenses. But even if you're older, make sure you've got some life insurance in force so that even if you spend all your money, even if you have all the money that, that gets used up in, a, in an elder care situation, etc., at least there's some life insurance there to pay for your final expenses. The reason why people spend so much money on funerals is because they want to honor properly the memory of the person that they care about. Is there anything wrong with this? No, absolutely not. Similar thing with weddings. Why do people spend so much money on weddings? Well, we want to honor the person. I remember when I went and bought an engagement ring for my wife and I was trying to make thoughtful decisions, trying not to spend too much money and trying to consider. But the, you know, the, the advice and guidance in the world of engagement rings is very, very um, – <laughs> 
it, it's hard to find good advice. And the challenge is that you get young male pride involved. And the first thing you know that if your first thing your fiance is going to do when she tells people I'm engaged, she's going to hold her finger up and she's going to hold the ring up and she's going to say, "Hey, look, 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 I'm engaged." And you know, with me being Mr. Financial Big Shot, I never wanted to be embarrassed when she did that. Well, in hindsight, it was silly. Now, with a little bit more maturity, with a little bit more of the reality of just considering the fact that I, I, what I value is the relationship with my wife, not the ridiculous rock, uh, which has a whole horrible history in and of itself. If you ever want to uh, study the history of engagement rings and why we even do that in the first place, the uh, point is that there was pride involved. I didn't want her to be beginning her marriage by thinking that she was marrying a deadbeat who couldn't afford a nice ring. And I just remember that intense pressure sitting there and saying, well, I love her. I really love her. I can spend the money. So I, I, maybe I should. Now, I tried to get a good deal, and I, I think I did. But today, I, <laughs> I'm happy. She has a ring. It's fine. But it doesn't mean as much. I don't love her more or less, or she doesn't know that I love her more or less because of the size of the engagement ring. Consider all of the difficult marriages from many large celebrities. Very large engagement rings, seemingly very short marriages. And yet consider perhaps other people you've known, minimal or non-existent engagement ring or grandmother's heirloom passed down and very long marriages. There's no correlation between these two things. So with funerals, similar thing. People want to want to make sure that they're honored. So if you know that's going to be the case, then plan appropriately for it. This should be one of one component of your uh, of your discussion in advance to say, "Here's what I want to do." Now, to get to the point of some of the details of this, the best thing to do is to make your own specific plans. I've been doing this as I'm kind of revisiting all of uh, my uh, state planning documents and things like that. Here's kind of a Valentine's Day gift to make sure that everything is updated. I like to do that. I think it's very loving as a Valentine's Day present. Very, very romantic, by the way, as well. Uh, Very romantic to present uh, proper papers and things like that to your wife. I encourage that. Much more romantic than, you know, flowers and chocolate and things like that. Uh, Hopefully you have a wife that will understand and will will, will agree with that. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, as I've been revisiting this, I realize, okay, I need to go ahead and lay out uh, what I want for a funeral. And this is one of the simplest things that you can do is help your family to understand what you would actually want. If you don't give guidance in advance, then your family has to think of what you would want. And because they don't want to tarnish your memory, they're going to go and choose a little bit above and beyond. If my wife had told me in advance before becoming engaged, hey, Joshua, uh, listen, I don't actually care that much about having a nice engagement ring. What I'd really like you to do is to take the money and spend that on me in this way. Then I could have gone and made some kind of – if I, I could have felt confident in buying a cheap ring and saying, oh, I'm going to spend the money on my wife on this way because I know that's what she wants. So in the same way, using that metaphor – If you tell your family and lay out for your family what it is that you want in advance, they'll be confident enough to make the appropriate decisions. So as I've been thinking about this and doing a little bit of research, let me just tell you, I'll just tell you what I want. And 
I'll tell you about some options for you. Uh, if you want good guidance on funeral, how to interact with funeral homes and things, we'll do that more of that in the future. But for me, I don't care, especially not at this point. Who knows? When I'm old and 100 years old, uh, maybe I'll be different. But today, I don't care about any of the fancy memorial funeral stuff. I just want to be stuck in the ground in the simplest, cheapest way possible. And I want my family and friends to have an opportunity to get together and to uh, enjoy time together and to celebrate me and what my life meant. That's it. And I'd much rather, if the normal cost is going to be 15 grand, if we can do it for a thousand bucks, I'd much rather the extra 14,000 bucks be in the hands and the pockets of the people that I love. Or be given away to do some more good than uh, just going to buy expensive, fancy stuff that doesn't mean anything to me. So I've often had this interesting uh, experience with, uh, with kind of just an interest in how can you do this cheap? Can you, for example, make your own casket? The answer is yes. Can you, for example, bury your loved ones or be buried on your own property? The answer is yes. Do you need to actually be embalmed? The answer is no. Do you need to actually interact with uh, any kind of funeral people, um, you know, official licensed morticians? The answer, with the exception of a few states, is no, you don't. <laughs> so I'm going to walk you through some of these things to hopefully give you some ideas uh, that will be helpful to you so that you can have some conversations. My goal today is to motivate conversations and research. Before we get to more of these practical ideas, forgive me for getting a little bit off uh, off of uh, off of my track. Uh, Paladin Registry. Uh, Paladin Registry is my best attempt to answer the problem many of you have, which is, Joshua, I know I'd probably like to get a financial advisor. I like listening to you. I like hearing the inside of a financial advisor, but I don't know where to get a good one. Tough question. Tough problem. It's not easy. Uh, But it can become easier if you start by searching from a pool of qualified financial advisors. That's what Paladin Registry is. They're a registry service. Financial advisors apply to be part of their registry, and they have to pay a fee. Now, uh, Paladin goes through and rigorously vets and and researches all of these advisors. They research any disciplinary actions. They research their qualifications. uh, They research uh, their business practices, their models, et cetera, and they assign a numerical rating to those things, and they have to achieve a certain score before they'll be allowed in. Once they're allowed in, then they become part of the registry service. So the way it works is simple. If you're looking for a financial advisor, if you want to meet with somebody, you don't have to find a financial advisor through them, but you can at least start with some good candidates to interview, and that's how you should approach it. You should approach finding a financial advisor as an interview process, as if you were hiring them to work for you, because guess what? You're hiring them to work for you. So go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash Paladin, P-A-L-A-D-I-N, RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash Paladin, or just click the link on the, uh, at RadicalPersonalFinance.com or in the show notes blog post for today's show. That'll forward you through to a landing page where you put in your name and your, your address information and uh, your, the amount of money you have, et cetera. And then what Paladin will do is they'll get in touch with you and they'll refer to you several financial advisors, sometimes two or three usually, uh, that you can start your search with. Uh, I've had very good results from many of you. said, hey, we found people that were qualified. Um, not all the time are the financial advisors radical. Uh, they're probably I'm, – I'm a unique person in the sense of radical. They're not necessarily radical, but they're ethical and they're qualified and they're competent. 
RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash Paladin. Let me do the other ad to personal capital. Uh, as we yesterday did the show on budgeting, um, I use YNAB for my for my personal budgeting for my checking accounts. But I do not use any other thing else other than my checking account in YNAB. I use personal capital as one of my dashboards to be able to see all of my assets, track investment performance, to be able to see those types of things, uh, to be able to see where the accounts are. Uh, I can track all of my assets in there. If you have stock accounts, that's super simple. It imports all that information. You can track housing and, and cars and kind of put that together as your balance sheet. It also track expenditures in there if you use that functionality. Totally free. And it has the most beautiful dashboard that I have ever seen. Uh, get a free account at RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash Personal Capital. Again, totally free, RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash Personal Capital. Please use that tracking link so I get credit for your traffic. Thank you. Uh, all right. Process of burial. The stress that you experience with the process of burial will probably be related to whether the death is expected or unexpected. There's a big difference between the funerals of people who are old and likely to die soon versus those who die at a young and, une- at a young and unexpected uh, time. Uh, generally, older people know that they either need to plan their funerals. It's often one of the things that, you're, again, you're meeting with a financial advisor, go ahead and plan the funerals. Many times, older couples, especially responsible people, will go ahead and go through and uh, – Prearrange and usually prepay for many of their circumstances. Uh, that's really good because then you know that you, if you're the older person or your parents, they're making the decisions and they're going through this planning process. That's a that's frankly one of the best ways to do it. And the funeral homes specialize in this. They do a good job. You can buy the burial plots. You can buy all of the stuff and pay for it all up front. That's different than people who face the unexpected death of somebody at a younger age whether this is a car accident, heart attack, etc. Usually there, the family is reeling and trying to figure out what to do. And that's really tough because many people haven't thought about death. They haven't thought about funeral preparations and they're going through it for the first time in an intensely stressful uh, time. So let me just give you – I'm going to give you a number of tips and they're going to range from mainstream to uh, pretty radical. For example, we'll cover uh, home uh, funeral and home – you know, care of the body and burial in your backyard, we'll cover that towards the end. We'll start with a little bit more mainstream. Uh, you can individually work through each and every stage of the process. And if you're going and meeting with a funeral director, they'll walk you through your options. Everything has a cost. A simple example, traditional funerals often have a memorial service and there's often a graveside service. Well, there's an extra cost. You don't have to do a graveside service. Or you don't have to do a traditional large big building service. Uh, These are your options. So think in advance, is there value to one or is there value to the other? Uh, Caskets. You can purchase your caskets through the mortuary that you're working with or mortician that you're interacting with, the funeral home. Or you can go to Costco or Walmart and buy caskets. You can do a DIY build casket. Uh, You can find plans on the internet. You can buy cheap caskets online. Uh, and those uh, options are available to you. And the the funeral home cannot refuse to use any caskets. So one of the simplest things to do is do a little bit of price shopping on caskets. 
Uh, you can find out what's available to you at the funeral home and then go to Costco, Costco.com. You can look on Costco. You can look at the Walmart website and you can look at your options and see what's available to you uh, for your casket choice. The cheapest option you're going to find at Walmart or Costco is going to be about a thousand bucks for a casket. And you can they'll go up from there. Uh, you should make sure that you, if you, if you're in the situation as or, and as your family member, or if you're working with somebody, you should always make sure there's somebody with you who is emotionally disattached from the deceased person, so that they can go through and they can do the bargaining and they can pull things out point by point. So you have the power to use your own casket. Uh, so again, thousand bucks uh, for cheap ones that look as good as anything else uh, at Costco and Walmart. Uh, you can find cheaper ones online. You can buy. Uh, you know, for me, I'd rather probably because it fits my uh, nature to not go along with the flow. I'd prefer to be buried just in a simple pine box. Uh, I'd prefer somebody, my family, build it. Uh, I've found casket coffin plans online for as little as five bucks. I'll link to that in the, in the show notes for today's show. But you can go uh, from, uh, and you can buy from a website called PiedmontPineCoffins.com. You can find coffin plans there for five bucks. And the wood and materials will cost you under $200. And you can make a simple plywood uh, coffin for yourself. So if you are are handy with wood or if you know somebody and you need to, you need to bury somebody cheap, then uh, consider that option. Uh, build it out of plywood, buy some $5 plans uh, and build it out of plywood for, for about 200 bucks. They also at that site, Piedmont Pine Coffins uh, and their DIY coffee, coffin plans, they also just use some other boards that are a little bit fancier looking at that you can buy at Lowe's and, and it'll add a little bit of money, but not much. You can buy coffins, that Piedmont Pine Coffins, they sell handmade uh, simple coffins. You you can buy uh, coffins that are made online for as little as about $400. I found a website called the Kent Casket Company. Uh, I think it's Kent, K-E-N-T, casket.com. They charge $431 for a simple pine box. Uh, that includes shipping. So they'll ship you a simple pine box. Um, so there's a great way of, of saving some money. Uh, I guess I'll need the extra large, which will probably be a little bit bigger uh, in order to fit me into it. Uh, but a great way to, to save money. If you actually go piecemeal through the process of uh, figuring out uh, the, the process of burying, all the different stages involved, what you find is that you can actually do many of the things yourself or you can bypass many of the traditional uh, ideas that people use. When somebody buys, you don't have to have the funeral home be the one to pick them up and, and take care of the details. You can have them taken right to the morgue. You can take them right to the morgue yourself. Uh, the key with the preservation of a body is refrigeration. And so uh, often you want to refrigerate the body as quickly as possible. Uh, you can bypass so many parts if you're inclined. Actually, let me just jump right to the radical, th radical aspects of it. Um, number one, uh, in every state uh, in the United States – you have the right to control all or almost all of the process. In Florida, anyone can order a death certificate uh, that doesn't include the cause of death. Uh, so if I want a death certificate that doesn't include the cause of death, anybody can order that. If it needs to show the cause of death, then it needs to be a spouse or a family member or a legal representative. But you can order the death certificate. It's fairly simple. You don't have to embalm a, a, a body. Uh, embalming is only necessary if you're trying to preserve the body to have uh, an open casket memorial service sometime later. Uh, so 
both embalming and refrigeration serve the purpose of preserving the body for a few days. In my state, uh, if the body's not going to be disposed of within 24 hours, it's required to be either embalmed or refrigerated. In some other states, it doesn't have to be done exactly that way. But if somebody dies, let's say that I'm caring for it. And this happened with my grandfather. My grandfather, we cared for him for many years at home. He died at home in his bed. Uh, now, we were working with hospice, and hospice is well-equipped to handle and answer some of these questions. But uh, we could have taken care of the whole process ourselves of, of caring for the body. There's a whole movement in, in this like green funeral and, and simple funeral of people seeking to, um, uh, seeking to uh, help people to, to do things simpler. There's a book I ordered uh, uh, that I haven't read yet, but talking about the, the process. Uh, you can use dry ice to help to preserve the body if you're caring for the body at home. Uh, you can do some very simple techniques uh, where you, they, you wash the person. This is very traditional. You wash the person's body. You wash their hair. Uh, if it's a man, you shave his face. You, you give, them, uh, give their body a, a pedicure, a manicure, put on their, their nice clothes. Uh, I saw one thing when I was researching the topic. Uh, for example, uh, you, uh, the traditional practice is you close the person's eyes. They put, you can put some heavy coins on their eyes that holds their eyelid, uh, eyelids closed uh, overnight. And then you put a bandana around that holds their jaw closed. And then you just leave them overnight. And then the rigor mortis sets in. And then the next day, uh, their mouth will be closed and their eyes will be closed. And they'll be there in a, their, their body will be there in a state of peaceful repose. Uh, so you can do those services yourself. And, and uh, a body is not unsanitary all of a sudden. It doesn't all of a sudden defile your house. Uh, a casket is not actually even necessary for burial or cremation. Uh, that's often a very large expense uh, depending on, on the design. Cremation is generally one of the cheapest ways to go. Uh, and for cremation, you can yourself, if you, were wanted, if you were going to do this, you can go ahead yourself. You can get the cardboard box uh, from the crematorium. You, or you have the cardboard box. It can be decorated or painted. Uh, you can make a simple wooden platform with a piece of plywood and some two-by-fours. Uh, and you can take the body directly from uh, – the house after uh, you've taken care of the necessary details, you can take the body directly from the house to the crematorium yourself. Uh, a minivan works great for transporting a body. One of the other benefits for minivans, that's why you need a minivan. It's hard to transport uh, a body uh, that is stiff and rigid in a car that's, that doesn't have enough room, but a minivan will do it. I remember when my grandfather's body was carried away, the the, the uh, hospice rep- representatives uh, carrying him to the morgue uh, drove a minivan. So a minivan works great. You can get the cardboard box. Uh, or or uh, if you're going to do some sort of other simpler burial, uh, you don't actually have to have a, a, a casket at all or a coffin at all. There's a, a big move uh, among those who are primarily focused on environmentalism. And it's like this green burial movement where they seek to bury the person in entirely recyclable organic materials that will rot uh, without any problems. So if they're going to use a coffin, they'll build the coffin without the use of nails. Uh, they'll use rope for the handles instead of metal, uh, use a natural cotton uh, biodegradable rope. They'll use simple uh, organic uh, biodegradable glues to glue the boards together, and you create this very organic biodegradable coffin. Or you can do it, and people will wrap them in a burial shroud. You can use some simple uh, cotton cloth. Uh, to wrap the person in a burial shroud, dig a hole and put the body down in the bottom of it, uh, and that person will decompose beautifully uh, without the need to even have a a coffin or a casket. Uh, Now, that's not probably making a few of your skin crawl to think about that because that's not culturally normal. But it once was. So if you can... 
escape the culture a little bit, you can think that through. Uh, again, you don't have to buy the casket from the funeral home. What about where to bury the body? Um, obviously, most people desire to be buried in established uh, cemeteries where they're official. But there are actually no – in my state and in, in the majority of states, there's actually no state laws that forbid people from burying bodies on private land. One of my favorite memories from when I was a teenager was uh, traveling out with my family. We were in Colorado and uh, when I was – my dad grew up on a ranch in the mountains of Colorado, a very rural, uh, very, very rural mountain ranch. And we'd, he took us up to see where he had grown up, kind of this very interesting uh, subsistence ranching in many ways lifestyle. And as we were up there, one of the things that we did, we drove up a little side road to uh, and found the family uh, or the family or the local community burial plot. Uh, and the, the community they grew up in was so small that my grandmother – here's a radical income earning idea. They lived in Ute, Colorado, which at the time had so few people that it was an established uh, – it was indeed an established district, but there was only – there were only, was only one child in the school district, and that was my father. So my grandmother, who was a licensed certified teacher, was actually employed by the state as a licensed certified teacher to teach my dad, her son, <laughs> his, uh, his schooling. I don't know how long that, that went on, but there's a little uh, radical idea for you as far as a way to make money. Uh, so uh, this little tiny community, we drove up a little road, it's a rutted mountain road, and there was, a, just like you often see, if you've seen in movies, if you've never seen it in, per- in person, a big uh, big tree and a little picket, uh, picket fence around that tree, and that was the graveyard, the small cemetery for many of the local people. And so we found the headstone for my great, one of my great grandparents. And we found this rock that my grandfather had, uh, after he buried them, he had taken this rock and he had, by hand, he had smoothed it. And then he had made a little inscription on the rock to record uh, the name of my great grandparent and their dates of life. Uh, And it was all just this very crudely done uh, thing where he had worked. My dad said he remembered him working on it many, many nights, sitting by the fire in a cold Colorado winter, uh, carving the headstone. So it used to be simple, and, you, and it can still be simple is my point. You, you Actually, legally, there's no reason why you can't do these things. Of course, you need to have access to land to do that. There are You do need to check local zoning restrictions. Uh, I don't own any land currently, and uh, of course, um, uh, if you have a quarter-acre lot in the middle of a city, uh, you might want to at least carefully research things before you dig a hole six feet down in your backyard and drop a coffin in there. Or you might have the police showing up and undoing all of your work. Uh, but there's no reason why you can't do it. So check your local, any local um, county or city zoning ordinances. Uh, but you can establish a family cemetery. If you have family land, you can be buried on private land. You don't actually have to be buried on your own land if you don't want to. One thing I found when I was researching this topic was I found a, a story of a lady in the UK. And she buried her mom on a friend of theirs' land. Uh, they did it very simply. She didn't do a didn't, – uh, she didn't use a coffin. She went to the morgue. She picked up her mother's body. They trained transported it to uh, the uh, to the to the land she dug the hole took her a day to dig the hole six feet down by hand with a shovel a backhoe would obviously make it simpler if you can get access to one but she dug the hole and uh, she placed her mother's body at the bottom of it used a simple shroud uh, 
uh, filled in the hole and planted it with flowers. Uh, they did just the the only evidence of the grave was that they did a small uh, or they you mound the dirt up if you place a body down in the grave due to uh, loosening the soil and it not being so compacted you'll have much lighter and fluffier soil uh, and also the fact that there's a body down there so there'll be a natural mound up uh, up high uh, but in the course of time as that dirt compacts again over time and as the body rots and disintegrates that that uh, convex mound will actually become a concave little indentation as you plant a little garden or something over the top so very very simple you can do that Obviously, many of you have uh, relatives who perhaps um, had their bodies cremated. Well, of course, you can sprinkle ashes. Uh, you can keep the ashes. pretty simple to keep a small urn or box full of ashes. Or you can go and sprinkle those ashes, and then you have a very simple uh, option. There are no – there are no um, – there are very few rules about ashes, where they can be sprinkled. You can put them in a community scattering garden. You can put them on your private land. You can scatter them on public land. Obviously, you might need to ask questions. You can put them on federal land. The Federal Clean Water Act requires that you can't scatter ashes within three miles from the shore. Uh, so, of course, you need to go out more, out more than three miles to scatter the ashes. But it's pretty, pretty simple. Uh, and a lot of people obviously have done that. The point of all these examples is to show you that, and to tell you that no matter where you are in terms of what you want, you have the legal authority and right to take control of the process if you want to. And there's probably no reason not to. You can do this at any stage that you want. If you want to have a funeral home, uh, go and pick up the body of your, you know, your loved one, that their friend that died at the hospital, and they take care of it, and they embalm it, so you can do an open casket viewing ceremony, and then they take it, and you want to have your service at the funeral home, uh, and you want to uh, then have a graveside profession with a procession with a long line of cars, and go to the cemetery and have the graveside service, etc. You can do that. That will be the most expensive thing, or you can. Have the body taken directly from the hospital right to the morgue. You can have a friend of yours drive their minivan or their pickup truck to pick up the uh, pick up the body at the morgue and take it right to the cemetery. And if you're going to have it buried in a cemetery and have it interred uh, without all of the, that fuss, you can have a memorial service that's disconnected from that. Uh, you, you can have uh, if you need a casket there, you can have a casket there. Who needs an open casket uh, now? I want to be careful, and I probably have offended a few of you by taking a little bit too lighthearted of a tone. Uh, and if so, forgive me. Uh, I, I probably should have been, I guess, a little bit more had a, had a more solemn tone. But the point is, this time of life is stressful enough without it becoming expensive and stressful. And I beg of you. Uh, if you don't talk to people about what you want at your funeral beforehand, it's a rare person who will be willing to take the chance of offending your memory by not going all out for you. What you generally see is that people will go all out for you. They don't want to be offensive to your memory and they're worried and they, don't, they want to be judged by their friends as being great, so they want to spend a lot of money to have the big normal thing. Friends, there's no reason for that. You can have a memorial service in your house if you want to. My, both of my grandparents, when they died, we had a simple memorial service at our house. There's no need to have the body there or not have the body there. 
Now, if we lived in the kind of community where everyone's local, that's great. You know, you can leave the body in the house for a couple of days. You can, again, you can preserve it with dry ice. It's relatively simple with some simple funeral home techniques that you can do in your house yourself. Uh, but that's not really the community that we live in anymore. So we've got to adjust that. But you can have a simple memorial service there. But please, if you've never talked to anybody and let them know that, hey, it's really important to me that my body goes in the ground in a $20,000 casket or I don't care. Buy a $500 pine box on the internet and have it delivered and stick me in that or just stick me in the ground. If you've never talked to anybody, they're not going to be confident to make those decisions for you. So talk to somebody. Number two, one of the other hopes that I have of bringing this subject up for you is if somebody that you know or that you love is in that situation, please be an advocate for them. If the person who died did not plan ahead and say, this is what we want, it'll be very difficult for their family members to make rational, thoughtful decisions. And so do everything you can to be an advocate for them, to help them. I believe that many funeral home directors, my personal opinion, are engaged in an honest and upright business where they're seeking to help people honor the memories of their uh, loved ones in a way that those people choose to be best for them. I also think there are probably a lot of funeral directors who take advantage of the emotion of the moment to sell significant amounts of services that aren't necessarily required. Even if all you did was buy a coffin for your friend on Walmart, at Walmart or Costco, and have it shipped so that they can save some money there, if I just armed you with that, I feel good about that. Now, you, you decide how radical you want to be from there. But be a detached, emotionless advocate to care for the family's finances. Because I would much rather see if, if, if you are that um, detached, emotionless advocate and you're working with my wife after I'm dead, I would much rather see the extra 10000 bucks in my wife's checking account than in the revenues of the various associated funeral industries. No disrespect intended towards them. They are conducting a business that's fine. But for me, I'd rather see it in my wife's pocket. And I don't want her making decisions because she's grieving about me that wind up impacting her financial life negatively. Uh, two final things as we go. I want to tell you the 10 states that you need to be careful of with some of the things that I said. And I'm getting this information from the Home Funeral Alliance organization, which you can find at homefuneralalliance.org. But there are 10 states where you will have to hire and pay for help even if you go the radical course of doing a home funeral yourself. Now, I'm sure you'll be shocked that the majority of these states are the same states that regulate everything else into death, uh, until death, but the states are Connecticut, Illinois, Iowa, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, Nebraska, New York, New Jersey, and now Alabama. So if you live in Connecticut, Illinois, Iowa, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, Nebraska, New York, 
New Jersey, or Alabama, you need to look at your rights because there will need to be some involvement with a funeral director, and you can't do all of it uh, on your own. Uh, but go to that homefuneralalliance.org and research those requirements. It ranges from minimal to non-minimal. Uh, so uh, you might just need to have a funeral director sign off on something. My final closing theme uh, is this. Oh, I forgot one thing. If you want to do it for free, you can have your body donated to, to, to medical science. Uh, so that is a free option as well. Uh, FYI, the most radical, I guess, would be to do it completely for free. My final closing theme is this. It's important to consider your death. And it's important to consider the circumstances of your death. I think it's very, very healthy. As for me, it's simple. I don't expect to die uh, this year, next year, et cetera. If I do, it'll be generally untimely. I'm not old. Uh, so it's a little bit silly for me at this point. I don't, I'm not trying to find a friend with land and asking him, hey, can my family stick my body on your land? Uh, for me, the simple guidelines are very simple. Uh, bury me very simply. Uh, Whatever the options are, a simple wooden box is fine with me. Buy a cheap casket, bury me simply. And then the big way to make it simple is disconnect the memorial service for my life from the box with my body. If you disconnect those two things, you can do whatever you want with the body. You can have, you know, if you can have, you can have my body cremated, uh, you can have my body put in a cemetery somewhere. And you can have the celebration of my life, the memorial service, at a different event. And that decision alone dramatically reduces the cost. My hope is that by getting you to think about these things that you'll be able to take action to help. Um, Forgive me. I also meant to encourage if you're involved with a a church, this is one way that I believe the churches can be much more involved to help people. Uh, Obviously, churches are very involved with uh, helping people deal with death, but help people deal with the finances. Uh, Church can have a cemetery plot that's available, just like many of them do. You can have simple, inexpensive caskets made. There's one company that I found that actually sells kits, uh, and they're wood kits you buy for a couple hundred bucks. They just stack up. They're a few inches thick, and the cemetery can have that. And Hire some guy who knows how to run a screw gun to put the thing together uh, when you need it. Uh, You can take a major strain off of people if you help deal with the finances. Considering what you want at your funeral is healthy. But the most important thing about the whole process is that it will help you to consider what you want to be said about you at your funeral. And it will help you to consider what you want the meaning and impact of your life to be. Because is that not the most important thing? So don't be one who runs from death. Face death squarely. Death is the last great enemy of mankind. And one day that enemy will be put away forever and death will be no more. But for now, death is the great enemy. And it's very important to face that squarely and to recognize it because you and I have a very, very limited amount of time to do what we're going to do. The reason, and perhaps it was offensive, I hope it wasn't, but the reason that I treat death or the process of the funeral as lightly as I am able to do it is because the instant death happens, the game's done. Yes, we want to show proper respect and whatnot for the body of the person who's deceased, 
But all of that ceremony and ritual is for those who are alive. Once death happens, the deal's up. Face death, your death and the death of others, squarely. Think about the process because of your ability to express your love for your loved ones by planning ahead and uh, hoping to help with some of the arrangements, etc., as I've perhaps shared with you. But then focus on what you want the meaning to be of your life and make sure that your family or your preacher doesn't wind up having to tell a bunch of lies at your funeral. Better to live well and to be buried in obscurity than to live poorly and be buried in the biggest waste of money of all time. We've got to keep our priorities right. So I close today's show. I'm going to play a song for you. This is just more kind of sentimental uh, to me. Um, I love this song. Uh, there's a song that some of, some of you who are older will know. It's a song called This Old House. Uh, it was originally written and recorded by a man named Stuart Hamblin, uh, who was an old-time um, Christian gospel singer. He was a big-time, as I, th- I think he was a big radio DJ uh, out in California, uh, and then he was converted, and, and he started writing music out of that uh, after that after he was converted and came to know God. And in that story, he, he wrote this song, This Old House, and when I was younger, it um, – I found this the the sheet music to this house and the piano bench at, at our house. And I'd never heard it. Um, I didn't know who Stuart Hamblin was at the time, but I always loved the words of this song, This Old House. And uh, you'll hear it. Uh, it's a little bit catchy uh, in terms of the words. I'll play, the, play it for you in just a moment. But I used to love singing this song uh, to my grandparents. And one of the favorite things is that, uh, you know, as Christians, one of the, the best things about being a Christian is that you can face death with uh, openness um, and straightforwardly. And as a financial advisor, I've seen so many important financial advisors, excuse me, important financial conversations go wrong because people are scared to talk about difficult topics. That should not be. Now, you don't necessarily have to be a Christian in order to be able to face things straight on. Lots of you know, atheists face death straight on, uh, and oftentimes very bravely and, and, uh, and everything. I think by the time a man or woman gets to the end of a natural life, you're pretty much set in your ways. Whatever it is you believe, you're going to follow through with most of the time, but not always. But I used to love just, just um, singing this song, and I used to sing it to my grandmother when she was older. She was in her 80s and then into her 90s, and uh, she always used to love to have me sing it to her, and I just love the words of it. I'm going to play for you just two, two things. The first... Um, uh, clip that I'm going to play is actually the story behind the song, because I think it, it keeps our focus in the right place. Uh, it keeps our focus on the fact that in the same way that a coffin is very simply a place to stick a body while it rots, this body is in and of itself ultimately going to rot. So what is it that matters beyond this lifetime? And I used to love singing Uh, this song because it would always remind me that this body is simply a house that is getting old and that will pass away. But that doesn't mean that there's no hope. 
And the song, This Old House, uh, again, it's very sentimental for me because I would always wind up in tears. <laughs> so I'm going to play for you the story behind it. Uh, and just think about the simplicity that this describes and think about another era. And as you get out of, uh, as we think about consumerism and the way that we handle funerals in a consumerist culture, think about the story of the funeral for this man who's profiled in this song. Think about what that would have been like. So I'm going to play the story behind it, which is actually Stuart Hamblin speaking. And then I don't like Stuart Hamblin's version of it because I, uh, that he's saying uh, I, I, I learned to sing the song before I ever heard it for a long time. And so I created my own style with it. But uh, I'm going to play a song, a version of it, sung by an old country singer named Jimmy Dean. And I like his version the best of all the versions that I've had. So as we go, enjoy the story behind the song here with Stuart Hamblin and then followed by a performance of the song by Jimmy Dean. Some years back when I was on a hunting trip way up in the high Sierra mountain range, I had a rather strange thing happen to me. It was a cold, and I do mean a cold day. I'd ridden my horse up over a big ridge and was letting him blow a bit, and I happened to look away off down in a wild, desolate-looking valley, and I could see an old log cabin. Well, I was about in the mood to freeload somebody off a cup of coffee, so I rode my horse down toward the place. But when I rode up, I was rather disappointed because it looked like there was nobody living there. I could see the front door had been blown down, kind of like he'd been wrestling with a storm. In fact, it was a lonely-looking place. I was just about to ride on when I got a big surprise. An old hound dog came staggering out of that old cabin and just real wearily like lay down on the porch. Now, I know a dog will not long remain at a deserted place, but if his master is in that place, he'll stay there till he starves to death, and this dog looked like he wasn't far from doing that. Because that old dog was there and because there was no smoke coming out of that chimney, that place might have looked deserted, but I knew it wasn't. This dog was telling me a story. And I thought to myself, there's something wrong here. The thought hit me with a foreboding premonition. There was a man there somewhere. I swung down off my horse, walked up to the porch, and... That old dog wearily got up and started slowly back into the house, same as to say, Come on, I'll lead you to him. I stepped over the old door that was caved in. It was dark in the old house, and I, I couldn't see anybody about. I saw the old dog standing over by another door. I walked over and opened it, and I saw him. A little old man on a couch. As I walked up closer, I could see that he had snow on his chest. Snow that had sifted in through a broken window pane above him. I don't know how long the old man had been dead. He, he just looked like he was asleep. His old dog came up and began to whine. Now and then he'd look up to me with a pleading look, same as say, can't you do something to help him? Then I happened to notice shabby window curtains that would sway back and forth every time the wind came through that broken window. 
A man's not going to put up window curtains in a cabin that's at least 20 miles from the nearest road. A man won't do that. A woman had hung up those curtains. I began to wonder what had happened to her. I turned and walked back out into the yard and sat down on a fallen tree. I noticed there wasn't any snow on that tree. Perhaps a storm had recently visited the mountains and blown it over. As I looked around, I could see a a little toy wagon way up under the porch. A wagon that only had three wheels. And I wondered, where were the children that once played with that broken wagon? I can't explain it, but I reached in my coat pocket and got a little paper sack out, and I thought I'd like to paint a word picture of that place. I began the lyrics with, This old house once knew my children. This old house once knew my wife. Well, you know the rest of the story. This old house was a song hit of seven different countries at the same time, but I don't think that anyone ever got the true meaning that I intended the song to convey. You see, I wrote it to be a sad song. And when I made the first recording, I did it that way. But then the recording industry said, oh, Stuart, you're all wrong. To be a hit, it's got to have a real bounce to it. Well, not long ago, I was up in our attic and happened to run across that first old tape recording that I'd made. Perhaps if you listen to it, you can get the true meaning that I wanted the song to have. You see, most people thought the song was just about a poor, lonely prospector and his half-dead dog that had cashed in their blue chips way up high in the Sierra Mountains during a wild storm. But that wasn't it at all. The song was about two houses. The house that's made of mud, brick, and wood, and stone that a man builds. And the other house, the mortal house. The house that the maker of men has loaned to the man for such a short, short time. This old house once knew my family. This old house once knew my wife. And this old house was joy and comfort as we fought the storms of life. This old house once rang with laughter. This old house heard many a shout. But now she trembles in the darkness. Oh, when the lightning walks about, but ain't gonna need this house no longer. Ain't gonna need this house no more. Ain't got time to fix the shingles. Ain't got time to fix the door. Ain't got time to oil the hinges. Not I'm in the window pane. I ain't gonna need this house no longer. Getting ready to meet the saints. Oh, this old house is getting shaky. This old house getting old This old house lets in the rain And this old house lets in the cold Oh, my knees are getting chilly But I feel no fear of pain But I see an angel peeking Through a broken window pane But I ain't gonna need this house no longer Ain't gonna need this house no more Ain't got time to fix the shingles Ain't got time to fix the door Ain't got time to oil the hinges Not a in the window pane Ain't gonna need this house no longer I'm getting ready to meet the same 
my old hound dog lies asleeping. He don't know I'm gonna leave, else he'd wake up by the fireplace and he'd sit there and howl and breathe. But my hunting days are over. Ain't gonna hunt the coon no more. Gabriel Dunn brought in my chariot. Oh, when the wind blew down the door And ain't gonna need this house no longer Ain't gonna need this house no more Ain't got time Got no time Ain't got time Oil the hinges Not a window Ain't I ain't gonna need this house no longer Getting ready to meet the Getting ready to meet the same. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection. Ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money and- 